Hello, you wonderful people. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our Patreon account. The link will be in the description of this podcast, but you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. For as little as four euros a month, you can help us out and become part of our little community. You'll get early access to all of the pods and you'll also get a monthly newsletter from myself and Jim. So basically two monthly newsletters where we'll talk about stuff that's going on in our own personal lives and what we've been thinking about slash inspired about. We also are asking you guys to get involved with the podcast so you can send in questions for our upcoming guests or you can suggest to us people or topics you would like us to interview and explore further. Um, We love you. We hope that you love us and hopefully just by giving us as little as four euros a month, that's basically, it's not even a pint in London that you can help us become an even better podcast. Thank you all. Milo O'Shea had a very significant impact on my development in my teenage years and beyond. He was a unique figure in my secondary school who never shied away from showing his students how he really felt. This wasn't always pretty, but it was human. And this aspect of humanity is crucial to the growth of young people, at least in my opinion. Milo was one of the few teachers in my life that really demonstrated an interest in the student's ability to grow as a person, not just academically. I specifically remember him telling my class one day that it will be our attitude and perspective out there that will dictate our experience of life rather than the results of upcoming exams. And as the years have passed by, these words have never veered too far away from my regular thought rotation. I wanted to record a conversation with him to talk about how he cultivated that perspective in himself, the need for deep internal questioning, how he views teaching, the power of music and poetry to evoke inspiration, and much more. This was a special chat for me, and I'm very grateful he agreed to come on. I'm very confident that anyone who has a fond memory of an early teacher or mentor will take something from this. Thanks for listening. All the best. My welcome to the podcast. James, how are you doing? Great. Yeah, thanks for saying yeah. Thanks for agreeing. Thanks for showing me uh, your house. It's been great to be here. Um, absolute pleasure to see you after all these years. Yeah. The years have spiraled away. I know. Nine years. Nine years, is it? Nine years. I, go, I wouldn't have known that. No? I wouldn't have known what year you graduated. I just, I remember you vividly, all right? Troublemaker. Troublemaker. <laughs> I just, uh, I talk too much, I think. I love talking too much. No, it's a beautiful day. That's what it's about. It's a good issue to have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, before we get going, we like to ask, what's the crack? And uh, like, how, how have things been for you? What's the crack? Yeah, do you know what I... Do you know the way very often in Ireland you ask what's the crack and you answer the question with what's the crack? Or you answer the question like, oh, you know yourself. Or you answer the question like, sure, listen. You know, all like non-answers. To the point where I don't think the average Irish person actually knows how to answer the question adequately or like authentically even. Yeah, I think that's a key word, isn't it? Authentically. Yeah. And I think, I suppose... I equate what I know my generation definitely and I come from a generation where you did not you did not articulate how you felt and maybe sometimes that was good in terms of there wasn't an oversharing but there was definitely a repression and it would have been perceived as you don't 
and there would have been I suppose in in an era of machismo and an era of masculinity that you had to fulfil that certain criteria yeah. and you had to be seen to be yeah to, to be up there and to be counted and to be I don't know, for want of a better word, hard. Yeah. So yeah. you didn't, you did not express any vulnerability, and I, I think that's perhaps still there. Yeah. Perhaps not to the same extent that there's healthier articulation, but definitely I come from a generation where, and I would have, I would have been hugely conscious of that that you didn't, you didn't show vulnerability. No. You didn't. You didn't articulate any profundity of how you felt and as you say you, you pinpointed it there with you'll answer a question with a question yeah. so how am I feeling right now I feel absolutely stilted and intimidated <laughs> the fact that there's a microphone <laughs> where we were absolutely flowing <laughs> 10 minutes ago okay okay and then and I would and I would have been conscious today of say a past pupil and and I, and I wasn't because there was a flow there was a frequency it was lovely yeah. but I would have been conscious before uh, if you ask me what's the crack I would have been conscious meeting a past people and I very often am yeah. because sometimes I meet past pupils and how do I say this they have a, an idea a narrative yeah. or this grandiose meta narrative <laughs> of who you are or how they remember you and not always accurately. <laughs> I've been told over the years <laughs> that I've done things that <laughs> maybe, maybe. But um, in in many ways, there's kind of for good or for bad, and maybe good and bad. But it's a mythologization yeah. of an entity and a person who yeah. you are. And sometimes you wonder, I'm not that person. That's or I am essentially and fundamentally that person. But, There's other sides. But yeah, I suppose, yeah, we're a, we're a panoply of different things and I suppose there's a lot goes on inside us. Yeah. And there's disparate forces. But like say when you're in a classroom, uh-huh. it's a lovely thing. And but you're you're in the it's your public persona. You're performing and teaching at this quintessential level is performance. It's drama. It's you're out there. You're a stand-up comic. You're you're many things. You're a storyteller. You're a counselor. You're I don't know if I use the term educator, which are yeah you're, and you come you come out from that public eye, because it is it's it's there's huge exposure to it. You're out there. You're on the ramparts. You come you come back from that. And I'd say I probably retreat socially okay. when I'm not in that scenario. And we talk, I suppose there's Gar Public and Gar Private in Philadelphia. Here I come, Brian Fields, great play. Uh-huh. And we talk about these, these disparate forces inside us. And I sometimes wonder, I do find an equilibrium okay. When I'm challenged, when I'm in the arena, when I'm pitted in front of a classroom, perhaps that's me at my most relaxed. And then I retreat from that. And I retreat socially. 
that I don't interact brilliantly outside. Disagree, but <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose that you, you come into your own cloistered world, and maybe that's recovery too. And okay. maybe that's because you're performing all the time in the classroom, maybe. and it's quite attritional. And I'm probably going off on a tangent no, here no, no. hugely. This is this is and tangent bill here, y- yeah. You, you retreat from that, and you don't know whether it's the real pure you when you're, when you're out there in the arena, and then you're somebody else entirely. And maybe you're self-conscious and maybe you're stilted and then you meet past pupils to get back to where we originated this and sometimes you feel you have to kind of fulfill the the mythologized figure the expectations yeah the expectations of who you are you know bob dylan always talked about it he said i put on my bob dylan mask (laughs) and I'm not going to speak about myself in the third person now, so I'm my long shy mask. But um, yeah, that's it. And you come, you come back. So what's the crack? I suppose there's an element of uncomfortableness. Okay. And I suppose that's what it is. It's exposure. Yeah. Yeah. In my private world, yeah. as opposed to that public persona. I get you. I, there's like, there's just so many... Parker Yates say the unity of being is the reconciliation of many disparate forces and mm. the disparate entities we are and yeah. you know who I am in front of a class is not who you are here it's not who I am here mm. and I suppose this is my intimate surroundings you know my family life and, mm. and uh, yes there's huge crossover and there's huge like they dovetail like I don't change <laughs> but uh, yeah that's it and all that, they used to have that Irish writers, this famous poster that's probably in every pub or every old library, the Irish writers, but I don't know who it was. It says, when he, when he was on the stage, he was simple, pure, affecting. It was only when he was off it, he was acting. So um, that, that quote always stuck with me. You know, it's funny you mentioned this. Uh, I have a good friend who works in social care, and he talked about the difficulty of him working with a certain client or service user and him having to be this kind of person for the best to, for the betterment of this situation and then him having to be another kind of person to kind of highlight certain characteristics or personality traits because this person needs strict or this person needs to see that I'm a bit more compassionate in this regard and then and then he comes home and then he has his girlfriend and, and his family like and he goes oh Dad, who, who am I here yeah it is a very difficult thing, but I do like that idea that you mentioned that almost we we have to endeavour to reach a point where they are all us. Mm, mm, mm. And it just de- depends on the circumstances. Yeah, and we're trying to reconcile, we're trying to find out, I suppose, essentially who we are. That's that's our journey. And I, I don't know if don't know if you ever get I don't know if there's ever a definitive answer, right? No, no, there's no definitive answer, yeah. No. But like Sorry, yeah. no, sorry. No, no, that unity of being that's in a classroom with a crowd of young fellas. If I suppose that's the thread or the clarion tenet of our conversation is going to be teaching and so on. Yeah. But definitely I say I find that unity of being. You forget everything. You flow, yeah, it's it's flow. That's flow state. Yeah, that's flow state, yeah. Cool. Definitely. It's transcendent. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how uh, how did you, how did you first begin considering to become a teacher, and how did that process go? Like when you were growing up, did you always feel like you could be a teacher, or was it just something that popped up later? And absolutely not. I I had no comprehension or no design or no path that said I was going to be a teacher. Huh. Of of I was as confused a confused young fella came out of school, didn't know what I wanted to do, perhaps still don't. Um yeah, went to college Followed the path, the expected path, but was I going to be a teacher? No, I'd never. I went to travel, worked on building sites in America, okay. came back teaching. Mother, permanent pensionable job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guidance of a mother who basically says, yeah, I drifted into teaching, yeah. Okay. And... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't have made a conscious decision. I want to be a teacher or always had that career tra- trajectory. Okay. But uh, I think if you're receptive, I think, yeah, but you have to go. Like for, I went through huge confusion, definitely, right throughout my 20s. Okay. Huge questioned who I was, where I am on this earth. And as I said, perhaps sure. that's, those, are, those are the endless questions recurring. Then there's no quantifiable solution to those questions I think but the asking of them is very important yeah. and I think if you're receptive and I always say this to lads if you're receptive if you have that receptivity mm-hmm. you know you, you sometimes and you have to sometimes go into into difficulty yeah. and into strife and into suffering and into challenge but if you have the receptivity you know it finds you things find you mm. I, I'm a devout believer in that okay I know it was, what was it? It was the things you believe in in this life, they choose you, you don't choose them. Okay. Uh, that wasn't James Joyce, that wasn't Oscar Wilde, that wasn't Yates, it exactly. Tom Cruise. <laughs> what was it? I can't think of the film. Um, uh, Jerry Maguire? No, no, it was a science fiction. I actually oh. saw it in a picture house. And I do use the term picture house <laughs> in La Paz, in Bolivia. Okay. And uh, Minority Report. <laughs> and it was this absolutely magnificent emporium. This this old world cinema. It was a complete anachronism now. And it was La Paz, Bolivia. So even even La Paz, Bolivia would have been in the early the break of the millennium basically. It would have been way behind contemporary sophisticated Europe. But even in La Paz, Bolivia, on a Tuesday afternoon, entering this world, this womb, this cavernous depths of an old world movie theater, which was like going back into 1920s. <laughs> and it was like an anachronism in La Paz at the time, but it was beautiful. It was. And I saw a minority report there, and that quote stuck with me. And here I am using it today. The, the things that you love don't you don't choose them they choose you yeah things you believe in in this life they, they choose you beautiful but maybe yeah maybe that's I don't know but like very often like there's no and I'd always espouse this to lads you know and very often we're fulfilling the expectations of families or societies and again I use that term the meta narrative and 
there's ideological possession too in terms of what you're supposed to believe in yeah and i see i see this i see these young men and they're they have this how would i say this authenticity okay there's this freedom there's also this confusion about their trajectory in life their journey mm-hmm. and what they're and an awful lot of it is there's a, there's a lot of expectations yeah. that can stifle them. Yeah. And sometimes they balk, and I suppose if you're into mental health, and sometimes they balk because socially they're, they feel that this confusion, you know, that they shouldn't have that confusion. Mm. That confusion is very important. It's and necessary. It's necessary. Yeah. And it's frightening and I spent my whole 20s definitely mm. I, I I reached I'd say about I was teaching a good long time maybe teaching a few years I was 28 but I remember saying utterly confused as to my place in the world mm. utterly confused as to who I was what I was about desperately lonely and I remember I went away and I had to go and again this may sound hackneyed but I, I had to go away to come home I get you yeah I know that and I went away and I pitted myself I left my job but I was lucky I could take a career break mm-hmm. this is after years I suppose searching if, uh, if you years of searching but I had to kind of leave everything I, I knew and I had to leave all the preordained structures and that was family that was friends that was the comfort of the known Mm. and yet you literally had to pitch yourself out there amidst the blood night times i was referred to them as the blood nights times they were like and that was a profoundly challenging period i actually went away and i went to south america I suppose ostensibly traveling yeah. as which again in our western opportunistic world like we're so lucky yeah absolutely we're so lucky but i went and i was torn asunder i was ripped inside and outside metaphorically existentially metaphysically you name it but it was a necessary process Oh yeah, a necessary um, unburdening. It was it was beautiful, and then you find you find what you're about. And so, do you think the time in South America did you come back kind of rejuvenated or with a, a, a more clarity or just like stronger conviction, or was just a more um, self secure in who you are yeah i came back probably as confused but yeah okay. there was i think i think you've pinpointed it there there was a there was a clarity a paradoxically there was a clarity perhaps yeah set more self-assured in my identity yeah okay. of who i was and what i was about um which i might not uh, still to this day no we're still searching as i say yeah 
and I'm only feeling this out in my own head now, but no, definitely no. I came, and I, I found love too. That's a big thing. Yeah, it was a big thing, yeah. yeah. It was a big thing, and it, it would have been a parenthesis on my life before that. Okay. Uh, but I found love on the road, and that was, that was a good thing I found. Yeah, I know this sounds really cliche, <laughs> but... Uh, there's some harried angel somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a religious man, but is looking out for me, and definitely I. You needed that at that time. I found somebody beautiful and somebody who loves me, mm. and keeps the chilly wind off my guitar. All right, a few things I want to ask. Um, I want to come back to you coming straight back from South America, okay? Um, and just to kind of expand or unpack a little bit about what you were talking about, how we all maybe need this time to kind of really question what we're doing and like who we are. And, and I wonder, do you think that this time that we need, like the time of questioning, is it actually, are we given time or is that process, process given respect? in the kind of expectations of you finish these exams and you do this and then you should get this job and then you should like to me it often feels like or I've come across several people that comment on say someone doing some traveling or kind of taking a step back or something that looks like a negative career move mm. to kind of do some deep questioning and the comments are usually kind of James I think he's I think he's he or she's maybe bit off or a bit mm -hmm. they're losing it or maybe something's up with them mm -hmm. but partially that might be partially true but also there's a part of them that just needs to do the digging that you're talking about to kind of go mm -hmm. well, what am I really doing here like, what should I really be doing um, and I wonder to go back to the, the young lads that you teach and you say that they feel quite stifled and, and kind of smothered by this kind of expectation would you say like I guess I want one thing I want to ask is do you see this difficulty amongst the people you're teaching consistently over the last few decades or do you see it like is it becoming more concentrated or kind of more visible now yeah god it's a difficult question I, 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 I think the prerogative of suppose when you're going through school and so on there's this there's this surge inside that lads will always want to go and explore and go and discover and sometimes do I don't I don't think that's something exclusive to 2022 Ireland and the generation of lads coming up mm. I think that's the rite of passage, isn't it? That they want to go out and explore and discover. And I suppose there is the state utilitarian pursue a career path, probably, which I'll find maybe to my own young fella coming up <laughs> that I'll, that I'll, again, it's finding a balance, isn't it? But yeah, to, I'd always encourage go and go and explore if that sounds again mm -hmm. I'm probably repetitive and cliched here but like and it, 
what you're about and what makes you tick. Yeah. And like I've taught lads who it's an insanity in terms of them being in a classroom yeah. and trying to fulfill academics. Yeah. Or you know the they're totally ill suited. Yeah. Like there's there's sometimes in our in our school system there's a very monochromatic idea of intelligence. Totally. And that's hugely stifling. That's hugely restrictive. Yeah. It's hugely alienating. You know, and there's this, I suppose, the societal perception then, oh, you have to go to college and you have to fulfill a career path. Uh, absolutely annihilating. Yeah. Like, th- th- that causes cataclysms. Yeah. Like, yes, there's people who are profoundly academic. Mm-hmm. You know, but I always say, I suppose to put it in the vernacular, if, you know, if you find what you love, which isn't easy, no. but the, the receptivity again, it's there for like, you do know, yeah. utterly elementally we do know, okay. and if that's working in stables, looking after horses, if that's, you know, working with wires as a sparks, yeah. you know, like I see young fellas in class there, I've one young fella there at the moment, and it's, it's, to have them in the parameters or in the cloister of a classroom, it's actually probably sinful. Mm-hmm. And you can see him, you can see the way his mind works. Yeah. And he, he, I see him, and he's looking at things, and I'd say he's brilliant problem solver. Yeah. But just in that rigidity of a traditional, and I think that's something we need to look at in terms of pathways in education and so on yeah. definitely and I know the NCCA the, there's, there's a review of the Leaving Cert oh, yeah. and I know they have talked about pathways okay. and so on but that's not to, that's not to deviate from academic standards which no. are very important and it's not to again it's finding out who and what you're about and but, but that goes after school that to not feel imposed or an indentured servitude yeah mm-hmm. of the expectations of others to feel an indentured servitude to to what other people want of you and it does take it does take a little bit of putting yourself out there yeah. and it does take an expression of your autonomy you know to 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 go for it which can be difficult as well because your self-esteem is probably already jilted yeah. within this context. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it does. It, it takes courage, yeah. And so you talk about how to find what you love, but so you started teaching maybe not out of like a pure, I want to be a teacher, I love this. But when you started teaching, or was it when you came back from South America that you found, oh, no, this is, I feel at home here, I feel... In, like you said in flow state when did that kind of stuff I uh, know I always enjoyed teaching you okay, like, okay. Like, when, I suppose you surprise yourself I know they say acting is a shy man's revenge <laughs> but like <laughs> okay. right. yeah and I know you may utterly 
disagree with me here. You're going to stop that by <laughs> In many ways, I'm really shy of this. And again, it's putting on that mask. T.S. Eliot, a face for the faces you meet. But, again, I always found when I was teaching, perhaps I was essentially me. And that it was my opportunity to... To be you. To be me and move away from the self-consciousness. To move away from the inane adult world. And the sometimes cloister and restriction and consciousness, as I say, of that. And I suppose that was always there. Now, I've evolved to teaching where definitely I... I can hit that right frequency and it's a beautiful thing. You know, Seamus Heaney, Station Island, he's, sorry, I'm quoting here and I don't mean to be seen to be proselytising or pedantic or pretentious, but there's a great, great, great poem by Heaney and it's, it's an extract from Station Island, which is a big, long... And he talks about let go, let fly, forget... You've listened long enough, long enough, um, and I can't remember the. But he says signatures. Find the signatures of your own frequency. Let go. Let fly. Forget. You've listened long enough. It's time now to strike your own note. And I haven't quoted that very well. I'm paraphrasing more than anything, but it's a most magnificent lines, and they they always resonated with me. And I suppose that's the clarion tenet of something. I'd say to a young fella, find your frequency, whatever that be. Mm. As I say, whether that's going and getting 625 points and you're leaving, yeah. or it's knowing how to teach somebody to fish and yeah. wherever, it's find your frequency. And Heaney's lines encapsulate that, and I haven't done them justice the way I call them there, but it's mm. beautiful. And I, I think it's actually in the context of Joyce, Joyce meeting a young Heaney and he imagines the he imagines the dialogue and the the advice for want of a better word that would be given yeah and, uh, and I said it you know you gotta put yourself out there you gotta go out into the dark and it's it's beautifully mer- metaphorically described Elver Greens Elver Gleams the darkness of a whole sea oh when they make sorry it's all coming to me. Oh, yeah, cool. When they make the circle wide, it's time to swim out on your own and fill the element with signatures of your own frequency. <laughs> and that was me heading off to South America. And I think that's utterly important. Yeah. And you kind of almost have to be ripped asunder of that to be put back together again. Yeah. Uh, that'd be my... That's a clarion tenet of my teaching. Yeah. And to know that the world is a magical beautiful joyful place it's also a damn hard place mm. and that you know you have no entitlement you have to put yourself out there you have to suffer but there's joy as well and great beauty if you're receptive and Sorry, I, I drifted away from no, the no, question there no 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 I this I'm glad you brought it up because again, this is why I think we're doing this now because I have the memory of being in your class and understanding that you didn't judge me solely for how I did on the test uh, or how, how my homework was and how 
I got the impression that you cared about the development of the students, not just academically. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was like one time before the junior year, because you, you taught me business for junior year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, um, and everyone was asking questions like, oh, sir, is this going to be on a test? Uh, this sir, is this going to be on a test? And what about this? And how do we do that again? And whatever. And I remember like towards the end, you said like, lads, the test's on Wednesday and best of luck with the test you used to put hard work in but know that how you do out there is not really hugely impacted by this test mm-hmm. how you do out there is how you do out there mm-hmm. you know it's a different world out there mm-hmm. and I I think it's quite in my experience it was a little, it was unique it's not that I would say to other teachers like other teachers are deeply committed to helping students get certain results and, and, and get a but there are, to me, there are very few that are kind of saying, you know, that's the test important, but the test is, it's just one small part, tiny thing of your life. Yeah. And your life is out there, like you have to, be. and um, I think particularly in the age of like anxiety over exams and, and worrying and people worrying about tests months in advance, studying, studying late at night, they need to hear this, I think. I think they, they need to have that reassurance to kind of go, mm it's important but it's not everything absolutely and you have a great memory <laughs> yeah, but still uh, my mantra that would be my mantra you know you develop your voice mm. you know you find your voice and that's one of the great things about my job is I can like, I don't know how I did it in business you're <laughs> busy but <laughs> It's a miracle I, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't my favourite <laughs> subject to teach, put it that way. Um, but I suppose you find a way through anything, don't you? But like, as an English teacher, definitely, the capacity to, to teach people to write, to read, and I, I mean like to write and read properly, to give them the capacity and language to develop their voice and their expression. Like that is a great honor. And that is so important. That is so important. If you can, if they can develop their voice and I, I can teach them what language is and to give them the gift of language. And I don't give them the gift of language to, to, for them to find the gift of language within themselves and to, articulate the philosophy and espouse the philosophy that language is power yeah. or if not power it's meaning it's identity and it, it is if you if you get words and if you find your words and your frequency you know it's autonomy it's authenticity and it's power for life it's meaning mm. you know you're luke skywalker it's a lightsaber that language is your lightsaber mm. and i think that's really important in in an age of ideological possession and i sound like i'm on my soapbox now <laughs> you know that they give them the capacity to question yeah. and i totally haven't answered the question you asked me no, but think. like in terms of that's really important but that voice is a huge part of in terms of examinations and I always say if a lad's at 99% trying to get to 100 he's my hero mm-hmm. and 
maximize every potential in a classroom for that fella but also the fella who's trying to get from 23 percent up to 30 yeah and small increments and that's maximizing potential yeah that's fine but i said always and again don't want the same hackney you are not defined by this result or you're not defined by an exam or the external validation or the external gratification nice yeah you do your best like any challenge like any battle you do your best but like what does define you is your receptivity your capacity to develop your voice and what does define you is your attitude and your responsibility to that attitude and that's I suppose if you were a football coach you say it's performance it's not result you know you give your heart to every part now obviously we mess up along the way of course you know but I'll still say it again to put it again in the vernacular I say it exams really important but not the be all and end all millions of people have done it before millions of people will do it a master to leave and start after you and you're on a path you're on a journey and perhaps there is a an overarching emphasis that the leaving cert defines you it doesn't as I say all oh, I talk about attitude whatever and there are a multiplicity of ways yeah. afterwards and as you you pointed out James in terms of it's so important that and I say young fellas because yeah. I teach all young fellas yeah. that their self esteem yeah. isn't eradicated or eviscerated or defenestrated again I'm using tautologies all <laughs> over the place there. along the way and that's a great guiding tenet and principle that you can show lads, listen, this this doesn't define you. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like again, I've met fellas who probably suffered in a yeah. in a classroom and then you'd meet them years later and they're immersed in its academics <laughs> or they're they found their frequency. Yeah, yeah, they found their beat. Mm. And Christ almighty, when you're 17 or 18, how are you expected to know what you want to do? When you're 28, you're not, you don't know. Oh, yeah, but like, know. receptivity, get out there. And it, it'll happen. Have you also met people, former students, that hadn't found their beat? God, that's a decision you're really. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to answer that. Yeah, no, I have. Yeah. I, I, I can't say. Uh, I haven't, no, but okay. I would. I would. Like, I'd say it probably every week. I'd say it to lads. I say, and again, maybe I'm hackneyed, but I say, Henry David Thoreau, most men lead, lead lives of silent desperation. You know, there's so many people out there and I'm not proselytizing because perhaps I've reached stayed middle age and something that we talked about earlier on. Yeah. There's part of me immersed amidst a comfortable, yeah. learned helplessness. I've 
reach middle age, I probably don't challenge myself as much as I should. I've become a little bit cloistered. I've become a little bit insular, a little bit desperate in, in, in a really silent, comfortable way. <laughs> and I don't think there'd be a week goes by, I say most men lead lives of silent desperation, that there's people out there who've given up. And again, it comes back to responsibility to self. That, again, this blame culture, this over our bearing sense of entitlement, that, but this, this, it's always somebody else's fault or whatever, it's the system's fault or it's the school's fault or... My parents' fault. Yeah, my parents' fault, Philip Larkin. <laughs> They fuck you up, you do your mum and dad. Sorry, that, that famous line, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always somebody. And if you could get fellas out of that, to, you take responsibility for your world. You take responsibility for your life. And that's that's not defined. And if you can get that, again, that's, that's magnificent. But I think language and the capacity to question and to question their, their own world mm. is a capacity to question the external then and that's something that shines for me that is so important mm. you know you're not you're not going to be indoctrinated you know like take the zeitgeist social media Again, I'm not a Luddite, I'm not somebody who, who, okay, I'm not brilliant technologically, but like, I, and social media is a wonderful, wonderful tool. tool. But tool is an important word. Like, I see psychosocially huge ramifications in terms of, how would I say, ideological possession that, Paradoxically, you can't question because you're going against. Maybe I'm I'm rambling here, but you're going against movements, a de-individuation, yeah, a, a giving up of your identity, and just on this, that I think, what we're hitting at, and again, what I think you played such a big role in, like my time in school and, and elsewhere, is we also need to see that, like particularly like the 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 lads that you're teaching, right you're talking about this this kind of pursuit of um, what's going on with you, what's your frequency, uh, your authenticity, but also we kind of, sometimes we can find ourselves in environments where we don't even see it, where plenty of adults aren't doing that. And I think what a lot of uh, students appreciate, appreciate about you is that very often you come in and it's, there's, we know how you're getting on that day. Do you know, um, and there's vulnerability to it, but there's also because I don't know if you've had this. Like it took me a, a long time to realize that like my dad was just a human. Do you know? Because I just saw him. That's my that's dad a, at a human level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And same with teachers. It took me ages to realize that teachers are human. Do you know, because yeah, you just have them yeah, in this box. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like he's not worrying about stuff like I am, or mm, she's not. Mm, you know. Mm, but I think you like cracked open the door of going like. Uh, you know sometimes I'm, I'm angry and sometimes I'm, I'm elated and sometimes mm. and I think 
even just doing that, not even talking about it, but just showing that gives people, young people going, all right, maybe I, maybe I don't appreciate it now, but I'm probably going to appreciate it in a while when I see that. It's not very common to see people really push themselves mm-hmm. into kind of expressing how they're feeling very often. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you're so you, to link it in with the social media, I think if you spend so, a, a lot of time on social media and you follow certain people and you, you hold certain people in high regard, like you said, this is almost a, a slippery slope towards you maybe neglecting what's, what's, how are you taking part in the world? Mm. yeah that's mm. that person but how are you taking very part in that true world? yeah yeah um, and your contribution to that world yeah and your contribution and, to and, the world. and your capacity to to stand up yeah. in a world which again it's paradoxically because we supposedly live in a great libertarian libertarian age yeah. I, I i think we're like group mentality you know yeah i put as de-individuation i'm looking for another term but it is you, that people give up their identity and like again it comes back to the capacity to question to not you know myopically assimilate and I think that's really important it's hard to stand up and be counted uh, whatever system sometimes basically the meta narrative that's put out there is you assimilate you get in line yeah but great part that I hope that I give in a classroom is that voice Mm. that they have the capacity to speak the capacity to write and yes and to question and to question what may be the prevailing consensus and what may be the the expected norm and if you can do that, as I say, that's that's your lightsaber, mm. and it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Like that voice, you know, you've done your job. If a fella can come out with that capacity to question, and I know I'm repetitive mm. here, but it's it's so important. That that's, and sorry. I I put that much better in a classroom, <laughs> on stage. Yeah, I believe it. Oh, I've seen it. But that I do here. That I actually quite. Yeah. I, I um this is one thing I want to ask you as well. I kind of you've answered it there. What what is your favourite aspect of, of being a teacher? And I, I remember I think about often, you know, Carl Jung talks about the fact that every human has a need to, to feel belong to a certain community or a certain tribe or certain mm-hmm. um, but we also have an equally strong need to be us authentically mm, us mm, mm. and he says that process of trying to bring those two in alignment or very close to alignment that's that's the work right but I think a huge part of that is what you're talking about the, the idea that showing people here it's, it's important to question and it's beneficial for it's, mm. it may be temporarily difficult mm. oh yeah <laughs> like yeah. there may be a lot of suffering yeah there is there's <laughs> yeah. suffering but it's I suppose this comes with time it's still very hard still very hard to put yourself out there you know but what's the cost of not doing something there's the cost of speaking but it's it's not like it's not being a rebel without a cause it's not it's again the capacity for independent thought independent opinion 
informed independent opinion mm-hmm. that's that's everything but I love what you said about Jung there yeah and you've encapsulated you delineated it beautifully that's that's teaching for me there's there's a unity yeah. that comes that you don't get you don't get outside it no, no and no. it's transcendent it really is it's flow mm. I always uh, you know when we were in sixth year I remember there was a load of lads going James I can't wait to finish can't wait to finish and all this but I remember talking to a few lads after like not too long after and I was like James don't miss it because it's a, it's a tight bunch and like depending on the year like you can feel so in like such yeah. a community you know yeah camaraderie camaraderie and the yeah crack, yeah and fellas spend their whole days trying to get out of the place yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i always joke with them i say i say lads you're getting pro <laughs> yeah you're getting out here i'm i'm doing a life sentence <laughs> you know after life sentence i'm i'm <laughs> I'm the feathered, I'm in shackled, I'm the madman raving at the walls here, chained to this whiteboard. There's no longer blackboard. I'm chained here. You're getting out, you know, you're getting paroled. But by the same token, I say, and fellas again, he would say, You suffer, would have suffered in the place. And you'd meet them and say, Ah, oh, you know, so sore. Kind of missed it, you know, you know whatever. Like that's exactly it. You have it in one, you know, when you felt that and felt lived that, yeah. And I suppose that's it. And I suppose everybody disperses then after school, and you're going out into the world and you're trying to find your path. But there's that. I suppose it's the it's. I suppose in your adolescence or young adult world, there's the awareness which is really difficult. It's a difficult time. Yeah. It's beautiful time but it's a difficult time yeah. and there's awareness of responsibility mm. but you finish that then mm. you can't go back to it this is the school world because real responsibility comes then and you know the yeah, rest yeah. of your life and whatever parenthood and everything else that comes down and for life came from me i did a great essay sorry oh, yeah, one of the best i always talk about personal essays that Leaving Cert English, right. the personal composition. And I say, like, personal essay should be a tree ties up, or it should be the, the opening of the veins to, to the soul. Uh, reveal, yeah, to reveal the royal sea inside yourself. <laughs> and, like, a great personal essay will reveal that royal sea and it'll ask lots of questions, it will find no answers. <laughs> but I'd a magnificent essay and I'd love to read it by a young fella yeah. a number of years back, great young fella. And he entitled it The Republic of Pubescence. And he did it from a whole metaphorical or analogy about geographical countries and adolescence was a country and young childhood. And again, he used all the tropes of passports and borders and frontiers. It was a beautifully written piece. (laughs) But uh, again, it was all what you articulated there in terms of leaving and you can never come back and it was beautifully done he talked about ah yeah he talked about the the mythologization of what's important when you're young and i think in his area you know drinking the cans whatever yeah, yeah. getting the winky face at the end of the text i'd have to read what he wrote <laughs> okay but uh and the mythology that you sometimes aspire to as an adolescent 
as a young man, you want to take care, you want to be a man, and you want to become, there's the mythology of what a man is. And he was talking about that, and he captured it beautifully from a, from a young 16, 17 year old perspective. But he did talk then about the aftermath, when you leave, and you can never go back. And, you know, talked about the primacy of feeling. But then almost when you're gone, exactly as you talked about, both literally and metaphorically, that's it. Yeah. I um, I have to ask, do you still play uh, Aga Soldier? I'm man of the soldiers. <laughs> I'd play anything. <laughs> I'd play anything. Yeah, I, I found COVID really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you get on with it. Yeah. But like, I'd always say, like I'd meet fellas exactly like that and say, Jesus, I don't remember anything about school, but I remember the day you played Morrissey. <laughs> Please help me get what I want or whatever. It could be anything that day or that week. Like when I had, like say, when COVID arrived, we were taken out of the enclave of our classroom. Mm-hmm. So like you just always have your fort. Yeah, yeah, your, your place, your, your realm, your forum. And it was great because you could, again, it was much easier to pitch things. It was, it was your place. Fellas would arrive in. They could arrive into a song, whatever. There might, that song might be something to do with, with, of course, it had everything to, it has everything to do with the endless questions recurring, love, life, time. Mm-hmm. It may have something loosely to do with the class <laughs> that you're going to teach or it's a song and music poetry that's again one of the great joys and great pleasures you know what I mean how many jobs do you get that to have that and again yeah so do I still play the music yeah but in COVID it's been a lot more difficult because I haven't had my own place so you're you're more transient so it's harder to find a a cohesive core sort of unified rapport building world if that i get you makes sense and how does it work right would you wake up and go oh the lads need to hear this today or would you would you be in class and go i think next week they'd appreciate this or just pop into my head they definitely need to listen to this or Ah <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I suppose mix and match. Sometimes it just finds its way, and you find that when you're in flow, you see yeah. the magic happens. <laughs> the magic happens, like, and if you were like, I've never recorded in the classes, but there's definitely there's definitely times when you're in that flow state in a class and. It's it's a magical thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's you know there's a symbiosis there. there there's uh, as I say, it's it's beautiful. But like, you sometimes wonder again, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. Like you do, you do, you 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 hit, you hit a plane then. Because there's no you in this mode, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. It's just no, yeah. Uh, this feels exactly, right. Exactly. Yeah. There's no self going and like. The way you, like, it's beautiful. You thread stuff together that, that might not rightly, that you couldn't, you probably couldn't conceptualise. And if you were following a 
strict methodology. Yeah. Yeah, there's the framework there. And as I say, leaving certificate English, you have the great works of literature. Yeah. And again, what are they about? They're about our humanity. They're about our flaws. They're about the vicissitudes. They're about that those disparate forces inside ourselves and they're about the journey and they're about every human who's been messed up since the beginning of time and there's about and they're about every kid who's in front of the classroom and I say lads you know you're all messed up you know I'm probably the most messed up here but I said take consolation that there's 8 billion others <laughs> exactly like that and it's the acceptance of that and there's the taking responsibility for that and then the great piece of literature why why are you listening to this why are you reading this because somehow it won't offer a solution but somehow it'll provide help you navigate your journey your world your life Mm. your suffering your joy you know and that's as I say, I'm only a conduit for this beauty of the human experience. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the lads told me yesterday that you were his introduction to Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and uh, Bruce Springsteen is probably his favourite artist. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Some great poetry in the early Springsteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sorry, did, did, um, did you see that before? Like, did you have an experience where teachers would play music or... Was it just what did you do it from day dot like the first week you're in school you just think oh it's a good idea to play this song how did that come about because ah, it would have been no by the way I would never had I would have I would have gone to a very I suppose like most people do a very rank and file uh, monochromatic educational experience when I was coming through okay. and again. No, I couldn't have say I would have had any encounters like that. So it was it was just flow state one day. Like, do, do you remember the first time you played the song for the class? I don't know. No. No, no. So I play. I so I played music in your third year business. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> but you made it work, like you said. And I think sometimes as well, you were saying you didn't enjoy business. I think. A lot of people also doing business didn't enjoy every aspect of it, you know, doing the budgets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but if you yeah. started off with some the, the Smiths or something, yeah, but you that's know. it. It's mm. we're all we're all doing time. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful time. It's necessary time, but we're all doing it, and you know, if you can add the color and the life and the poetry and the music along the way, that's what we're all about, isn't it? But you, you do you do acknowledge that it's quite unique, right? Like I don't I've never heard of another teacher doing. See, it I I wouldn't find that unique at all. I find that quite mandatory. Yeah, yeah. Well, quite. Yeah, why wouldn't you play music? I think. It's everything. Yeah. No. Well, perhaps no, but I know as you say in terms of a rigid pedagogical. Yeah. Yeah, but like. What are you there to do? To impart concepts? Or like to teach? Yes. Like it all gets done. You know? <laughs> but like... And again this sounds really hackneyed but you are there to inspire. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, or you're t- you're you're there to make the load lighter for yourself and for those. Yeah. You know, and whatever it might be, the words of a song, whatever that makes that like. As I say, you'd have you'd have parents coming into your parent-teacher meetings. And I remember last about a year or two ago, actually, yeah. Um, lovely man came into me and he said, uh, "This this was a really good. It was a really good sixth year class now at this stage." Okay. And he says, uh, "Yeah, he's struggling at the moment. He's struggling at the moment generally." Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd ask you, well, "What do you, you know, how was your day or whatever?" You know, the classic. Can you say, "Well, you know, my day was crap." I said, well, Shay played Joy Division. <laughs> that was this one, one moment, one clarion, one beacon amidst the darkness of his, his day. And then you say, well, okay, I've done my job. Yeah, the rest will happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? you fulfilled the criteria. Yeah, very important. You get fellas to maximise the potential. As I say, if a fella's aiming for 625 points, he'll get a 625 points. Yeah. If a fella's trying to get from 300 to 350 points, great you'll get there mm. but why not have music along the way it's fundamentally important mm. yeah absolutely and you know what's coming to mind is even if they don't get the the 365 or the 360 you're talking about the music kept them going throughout that time ah, yeah and, and they will get that the, yeah. you know what I mean? if they don't get the 360 at 18 in august of whatever year if they have if they have the beef and the attitude and if they can sustain a belief in themselves, they will get the three sixty or the six two five in many ways, metaphorically, in the years afterwards. Mm. Because, you know, there's so many opportunities, there's so many possibilities. You know, but again it's it's navigating it and believing. You know, throughout the sometimes life's damn hard, man. Mm. You know, I don't need to be, I don't need to sit here to, t- to tell you or to, to tell anybody. Yeah. Life's damn hard. You know, bad things happen. Yeah. Bad things happen at young ages. Bad things happen at any age, you know. But life's also beautiful. It's it's sustaining the belief in that. Yeah. I, uh, last year I worked in a homeless hostel for a few months. And I remember I was getting like quite down about like like me predicting the prospects of how some of the women might do in the near future. And I was getting real down about it. I was like, it's like this won't work for them in a few months or just mm-hmm. I know that they'll run into this blockade or this blockade. And then I remember I was cycling home one day and this was what came for me really wrong. Well, I don't know how it's gonna go f- tomorrow for me. Yeah. I could get hit by a bus. So why am I why am I worried about their future when all I can do is like you said lighten my load and their load mm, mm, simultaneously? Yeah, yeah. And I like I need to remember that because yeah, but we all do. Yeah, every day. You know, as you say, you're worrying about not only yourself. You're worrying about trying to, and I'll do it probably fifty five times in the next hour. Yeah. But like, if you could, if we could maintain that sort of, yeah. The transience, the ephemerality of what we are and who we are, and 
Philip Larkin's great poem, O Bald, you know, and it's about death. Uh-huh. And it's about, you know, and it, it, what, how Larkin does it is just, it is, some people say it's really nihilistic. Okay. That it's really bleak, but it's so beautifully, redemptively realistic that, yeah, it's coming. Embrace it. Yeah. That's where we're all going. Yeah. So permanent. And Larry actually says, it, you have to read the poem, but it's, but it's, a, it's a, for me, it's an inspirational poem. So what's it called? Abad or or bald, yeah, if I had my pronunciation correct, and it says so permanent and blank and true. But how Larkin could really capture the essence of things, and he talks about the all the rent again. I probably misquoted, but all the rented intricacy of this world. But it's 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 short term lease, but uh, oh, it's a magnificent. He actually talks this questioning and this confrontation and this sometimes sometimes absolutely smothering yeah. like who are you at three or four in the morning and it's literally a guy's meditation his thoughts about death another day closer now and again I'm not doing the poem justice okay. I'm not doing the poem justice but it's a magnificent metaphysical meditation and I think every man should read it okay I'll definitely take yeah that. it's a great poem it's a great poem, yeah. Okay. And um, it's about death and religion. And okay, I'll definitely check it out. I, I have, I've been, I've been slacking on my poetry, so appreciate yeah, it. Say, I, I wouldn't. Again, great thing. I, I wouldn't pick up a poetry book and read a poetry book. No. No, <laughs> very fine. But again, the poetry finds you. Yeah. You know, you hear stuff and. As you, as you yeah. know, yeah. You showed me that book there, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the poetry finds you. Music finds you if you open to it. It's perception, right? The yeah. perceptivity. Um, just a few more things before we finish. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was, it what what's the biggest change you noticed over your teaching career? Like, is there something that you when you're gone into class in twenty twenty two? You think, Jesus, this is a million miles away from twenty years ago, or yeah, yeah. Well, or, I suppose like I went in in an era of an epoch of chalk and talk. Yeah. You know, blackboards. You know, yeah, things have changed exponentially, and yet they haven't. Yeah. Core of good teaching is narrative. The core of good teaching is storytelling. No matter what your subject is, if if you can build that rapport, if you know at its essence, and again I'm tangential from the question you asked, but if you can, if you can attain that, the rest of it is incidental. It's the core relationship between you and a group of lads. And yes, there is exponential technological development. As I say, I'm not the most au fait with it. You, you do adapt. Yeah. You do adapt, yes. Technology, there's asynchronous learning now in terms of how things have changed. With Again, COVID accelerated it all as well. But yeah, yeah 
things have changed hugely, but at its core, they stay the same. It's relationships, it's narrative, mm-hmm. and it's taking responsibility for what's in front of you and who's in front of you. And that I say that from the lads' perspective too. So yeah, it it has changed. Um, am I an anachronism in the flipped classroom now? The so the so called like yeah, I'd see guys like anything. You'd see sometimes you'd see videos or you'd go to training, and you'd be intimidated by oh my god I'm not teaching at all because there's so many you know buzz things or you see people going around and they're doing this or whatever and then and you kind of have to take a breath and say well this is how I've this is how I forge my path or this is how I beat my iron out yes you have to adapt because that's very important in anything in life. Yeah. You do adapt. But essentially you're true to what you've learned. And I don't think there's any greater counsel than experience and knowing how to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's quite simple. Because it's that rapport and that relationship. And you can put every newfangled device. You can put every newfangled methodology in. Some of them very good. Some of them not so good. Some of them really well meaning. But they're the vogue lingua franca of some educational system or latest vogue, you know. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work. It's, it's, It's not... Like the intuitive dynamic, yeah. You bring in stuff, and I'd be I'd be sometimes wary of like I've been I've seen so many. How would I say macrocosmic educational initiatives that are the latest buzz, huh. of somebody in an office somewhere, and I don't mean that in a derogatory no. sense. Someone just away from the direct environment. Yeah, and like it comes in and. It'll change then five years time. It's the same throughout the thing. And as I say, it'd be beautiful in terms of the pedagogical conceptualization. But like sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work. And like I think teaching's all about personality. Yeah. And yeah, but it has it has changed. I think the young fellas have changed in terms of digital perception. Yeah. And attention span, maybe. Or perhaps, yeah. Perhaps it's a different world. Like, but I still regard the classroom as a vanguard, as a way of inculcating, if if that's the right verb, like values. But again. I'd always iterate that they're my values. Yeah. That it cannot be superimposition okay. of values because that's not education. Mm. And education, again, is the capacity to question, is to develop their value system mm. and their series of questions. And 
as I said, yeah, I would be wary of of the social media and the gratification and the the instant the, the, the need for validation. That's had a huge effect on mental health, the young fellas. Yeah. Definitely. So like you're you, you can't pretend you're not in a technological age though. Mm. And like you have to yeah. to survive in that jungle, you have to the conquista if the conquista if you what you perceive or the conquistador is coming you know maybe sometimes you know you gotta you gotta adapt yeah like that great scene in the end of apocalypto mel gibson's apocalypse jaguar paw (laughs) (laughs) ah great great and he's he's fought for his life he's fought through the jungle against it set in the in the cultural context of the Mayans in Mexico okay and he saved his family anyway yeah 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 and I'm going on and then at the end he's he thinks he's alright he's reunited and he saved his wife and his kids and he's there in the, the beautiful verdant tropical rainforest and suddenly he looks out to sea and who does he see the conquistadores arriving and then he just disappears into the undergrowth, into the foliage. And it's a great scene. Cortez and Pizarro. Cortez, the killer of the rhyme. But like, yeah, and teaching, like, it's tough. I don't know. It's attritional. Like, you get older, it gets harder. You know, I always say it, like, so what keeps me young? What keeps me pure? I'm getting older. You know, and I think it's very important. And I have that on tap, is that you, that vibrancy, that receptivity, mm-hmm. that openness, like, that disappears. Mm-hmm. We enter the inane adult world. Like, give me, as I said at the start, give me a group of 12 to 18 year olds. They are pure, they are absolutely, yeah, there's crap going on in their head and heart and every other part of their body but they're pure and like you can pitch to that audience in such a magnificent way that put me in front of a group of adults you can give it you you can give a very polished presentation or you can give a whatever yes and you can provide inspirational elements but as I say, that pure, the receptivity of my audience, the purity, the openness. Mm. Now, the same group of lads will also be cannibalistic. They are well capable of sensing any weakness or foible or, and they'll rip you asunder. To put it in the vernacular, they will, they, no, they will absolutely destroy it. The same, I talk about purity and innocence, <laughs> like, it's, but then again, that's the disparate of who we are. So, like, and it's not difficult for me, but it's difficult for me energy wise. Like, I always say it, you get that audience in front of you, you know, they're yours. You have to rise to the intensity of that and sometimes a fever pitch intensity and on the good days, yeah, and the great days, you're, you get those great moments where like you're, yes, you're, 
you're imparting concepts, you're, you're imparting knowledge and material. But like, you're operating too then to get the real inspiration. And again, how do you do that? Sometimes there's no methodology to how you do it, it happens. You know, you go inside that forge, you beat relearn out, it happens. It, it happens. It's something you can't put on a session plan, right? No, no. You could like the session plan is a framework. If you, but it's attritional though. It's hugely attritional because I come in, group of thirty young fellas in front of me. You know what I mean? An actor can learn their lines. You know. Yes, you have a framework, but you're responding to expectations. You're responding to and like there's implicit expectations there's the questions you're you're you know you're fulfilling an awful lot and it takes huge energy to do so yeah, absolutely and as i say you you're up on stage you have your audience captivated you know, probably meet somebody who was in my class last week and said, no, I was captivated at all. I was bored. <laughs> Weightless. Yeah. But, yeah. So, you're captivated. Yeah, you, you can see it. And, like, bell goes. They march out. And, again, in cases, they're moving on to the next thing. They're gathering up their bag. They're... So, immersed amidst their own subjective frame of reference as i say you're just a teacher they're struggling their way through school or whatever they're trying to get through their day but another audience stream in then and you have one fella hulking down the back you have one fella whatever so here we go again next round and you're you're constantly at that it is a fever pitch intensity mm. and that gets harder as you get older. I do have quite a nutritional style. Mm-hmm. As you get older, that gets harder. It's bell after bell after bell after bell, round after round after round after round, and you're there in the ring. You know, new audience, new set of expectations, new whatever questions, new demands, new, new different dynamics all the time. It does, and that's what sometimes I suppose when I start, sometimes I retreat mm-hmm. from that, and socially then I just retreat to my own intimate private world. But it is a traditional teaching, mm-hmm. it is, and like how long, like in terms of the sustaining, and I know you have to learn how to, but in terms of sustaining, and like that has had a profound, like there's been times where I've been at a low ebb because I felt like I've nothing else to give. It's that great documentary I always quote from it again is that Muhammad Ali the when we were kings yeah. I don't know if I ever showed clips from that yeah but there's the you know Ali in that ring and fighting and so on and George Plimpton the American writer very grandiose eloquent how would I say erudite style of George Plimpton when he talks about uh, Ali he talks about Ali fighting on too long and trying to sustain that. And he talks about, he calls Oscar Wilde. He says, Oscar Wilde, each man kills the thing he loves. And he says, I think Ali. And the comment, like 
in the context of Ali, he says, I think of Ali, and he says, I think, no, no, the thing you love kills you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great one. And perhaps in some arrogant, <laughs> some self-absorbed narrative in my own head, <laughs> that yeah. I equate that sometimes, <laughs> that, yeah, how long, you know, can you sustain it? Question, going yeah. into that ring yeah so still a while left yeah a while yet though i will yeah. we'll we'll still gather up the gumption and maybe in a in a you say if i'm going down i'm going down with my boots on <laughs> but again maybe that's just some <laughs> bullcrap romantic narrative <laughs> in my head but you do like you do and you do then you do retreat and like Sometimes it's all consuming. Mm. And I have found it all consuming over the years and like there's been times where nothing left to give and you do you do come back then and you you have profound questions in your own life. Mm. What do I have to give my family? What do yeah. I have to what do I have to give my existence? And like I've come out of it a little bit and I'm much better okay. because I used to always have this I suppose and maybe it comes from a lack of self-esteem or maybe it comes from I used to have always had this unsettled thing that and it comes with being something or being somebody and uh, well I'm giving so much to others and then I'm not giving not to my life and to who I can become mm-hmm. and again this sort of, sort of delusional sense that there's always some that tomorrow I'm not going to be a teacher in thing. I'm going to be doing something probably much more uh, established. Yeah, more yeah, or, yeah, where more quantifiable and more with more validation or gratification or you know, you get you know, being maybe you have this bull crap notion in your head to be important or now, I, I don't think like that anymore, but I did for a number of years, and it used to kind of tear me apart. Yeah. I, I'm capable of better than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you feel like you're in a dead-end, anonymous world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you probably realise then, as you get a bit on it, like, it's all bullcrap. Yeah. It's all bullcrap, you know, this is... This is it. This is it, yeah. And... That's a great thing. Well, Nietzsche is a more fatty. Yeah. You know, love. Love the struggle, whatever your struggle is. And, but I don't, I, I, I used to have this, yeah, I used to have this kind of delusional thing that I could be somebody bigger or better. Yeah. And it's bullcrap. Didn't you used to show us the clip as well um, with De Niro in uh, The Raging Bull? Oh, where he's like, I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Sorry. Yeah, he's quoting. No, but he is. Oh, it is. Okay. It is De Niro. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, that final scene of Raging Bull. In the mirror. Yeah, in the mirror. Uh, brilliant scene. Yeah. Brilliant scene. And I, I, I have it. I can't think of it now. I'm thinking of it, but I know, I know that. What he, the speech he gives. Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah. And you looked at me and you said. Oh, yeah, no, that was. Uh, yeah, and he quotes Marlon Brando and uh, on the waterfront. And uh, again, it's probably the most misquoted. <laughs> Yeah. And absolutely butchered 
uh, monologue <laughs> in movie, yeah, but I had a title shot outdoors in the ballpark. Instead, I ended up with a one-way ticket to Paul Lucas. <laughs> it was you, James. It was you. You should have looked out for me. Yeah. You was my brother. Yeah. yeah, it's a great, great thing. And the Nero adds in his own bit down. He's the washed-up Jake LaMotta. It's a great scene. And then and then Cavalieria Rusticana comes on after that scene. And there's, there's a beautiful piece where, and again, I'm not a religious man, but there's a beautiful piece where Martin Scorsese quotes the King James Bible. It comes up and there's this, it's like this stage door or this door closing after De Niro quoting Brando and he's washed up and he's beaten down and he's a Tom Waits on. And the darkness comes and then Cavalieria Rusticana and then the words come across the screen and so for the the third time the Pharisees summoned the, the man who had been blind and said speak the truth before God we know this fellow is a sinner and the man who had been blind or the blind man replied okay I do not know whether he's a sinner or not once I was blind and now I can see again much oft quoted but it was just the resonance the power of the way it's done by Scorsese and then it comes up uh, to whatever a teacher he had and whatever a mentor and he says from Marty so it was like he dedicated the movie to the teacher right. yeah and like I couldn't I couldn't and I'd feel quite emotional hmm. I don't know whether you had Declan Fitzpatrick and uh, never as a no, never yeah as a, and no. like I'm a, I'm a teacher but like Declan Fitzpatrick passed away hmm. young man and he was a, he was a, he was a brilliant man he was a singular entity he was here I am talking about teaching that man if you talk about transcendence in a classroom I hear I'd say it was an out of this out of body experience mm. and he was a brilliant man and I couldn't mention that without mentioning him yeah. yeah so yeah, and I know many students from our old school yeah, yeah it's yeah. like revering yeah, he, if you're talking about inspiration, he was, and he was a consummate professional, a totemic figure. So, um, yeah. No, thanks for mentioning him. Yeah, he, yeah. He played a big role for sure for a lot of people. Um, one thing before before we finish, <laughs> um, we interviewed this woman Jill Violet, who runs uh, Playworks in California, and basically she runs this organization that supervises play and facilitates play for maybe kids like three to ten, roughly that age. Mm. But she said something very interesting. She talked about how very often the bad students, in quotes, uh, the students that are like hard to kind of keep in order per se or whatever, um, very often this, um, what they call attention-seeking behavior, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. What she calls it is connection-seeking behavior. Mm, it's very good, yeah. And she says once you give that person the connection, the desire to act out is not the same because the need has been met. Yeah. And I wonder, do you find the same? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you don't pander. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. As I say, we live in a, 
in an age where yeah well-being clarion tenet in everything i do but again it's very important to question a young fella yeah. I, i've made mistakes over the years and how i've questioned by god i have and but it's very important to question and responsibility mm. like as you say i i see young fellas say acting out and it's it's really well it's very perceptive and incisive the way you brought it up totally agree but some of them are just crying out for structure and to be given the parameters the connective parameters of responsibility mm. for themselves because and like they're fascinating because very often those kids they like in many ways they're brilliant because yeah. they're the ones who have the the oomph the oomph the cojones the, <laughs> and this autonomy of spirit yeah. and that won't be quenched and again as I said connection and that questioning is brilliant like that's a capacity for life they're not going to be readily assimilated and put in line for the boxcars but that they can do it that they they have and again this is i suppose in any educational capacity that you give them a structure to it don't become don't become a rebel without a cause don't become another idiot don't become uh, destructive and because very often they're destructive to themselves too yeah. that it's self-destructive behavior yeah. and i'm speaking from experience here yeah yeah, yeah. me too yeah. but um yeah that's what yeah. i mean we're human that's what that's who we are we we mess up yeah. absolutely that if we can if we can learn that but definitely connection yeah i suppose it's just what is connection in terms of what I do find difficult, and I suppose to come back to your question, it's very much an age, and it's brilliant because you'd never go back to that restrictive, cloister, repressive, abusive environment. But we do, we've almost gone to the opposite extreme now, where it's all about the accentuation of rights. But again, I get back to, where's the responsibility? Everybody's aware of their rights. But what about responsibility? I like this guy. He says, uh, "Rights without responsibility is adolescence." Yeah, it's, yeah, I've heard that. It's very right. good. Yeah, it's brilliantly. Yeah, that's that's it. Rights without responsibility is adolescence. Yeah. And once you can kind of go, all right, I don't get one without the other, then you're yeah. entering up to. But do we live in an adolescent world then as well? In terms of. A lot of people would say, yeah. Like mm. where you know. Yeah, there's a there's this author I like Bill Plotkin, and he does a, re- a lot of research around indigenous tribes, and he's kind of come up with this kind of uh, method or uh, structure of quote unquote levels of development, stages of development. Sorry, within X amount of indigenous tribes, and um, he's kind of he has he says there's roughly around seven in to between all these tribes that he study. And he says that the equivalent to the average person, the average adult in the West, he would say that the most, the indigenous tribes would say they're in stage two, adolescence. The indigenous tribes? Yeah, like as in, they, the indigenous tribes don't see themselves, they have certain levels where they go, at, certain, at this age you do this, 
and then you you go through this experience and then you develop these responsibilities mm. and then you move on to the next level and then you learn from the elders and then you move on mm. and these things and they would look at like the average person in the west like you said like how we mm. he, they would say oh there's they they they're they're um, stage two of development adolescence wow it was powerful the way like a societal anthropological comment yeah pretty much yeah and yeah and then that part of that is at odds with what I talked about that purity and receptivity of that audience of an adolescent audience that is just they listen to you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. whereas you go into a well maybe because they have to listen to you maybe this is the only gig in town so you go into a group of adults Will it, yeah. Which ostensibly are more receptive. Yeah. That you know, sometimes I thought I like, oh, I wouldn't mind being a teacher, but I think I'd like to be a third level teacher because at least the students I have really chose what they want. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes that isn't the case either. Yeah, <laughs> and I always said the same. I said yeah. I always just said, I'd love to teach adults because you get much more feedback. Yeah. Some for good, some for bad. Yeah. But. You'd feel like, oh yeah, I'm doing something here. I can see more tangible, quantifiable. Yeah, and get your bit of oomph and get your ego assuaged a little bit if you're doing it right. And uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, and yeah, and I'm just thinking this out here. The kids, kids are brilliant. <laughs> it's like they're not tainted. <laughs> and they're, and I'm talking about kids, I'm talking about they come in at 12 or 13 and at 18 and there's huge change in that too. But yeah, I'd always say and some of them don't want to be there, some of them want, you know, it's... Some of them, I think, don't know that they need to be there. Or yeah. some, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'd always say is so you're not here for exams. You're here because you're, you're sharpening your sword. You're learning to speak. You're learning how to write. You're learning. You're being given language weapons for going out there into that, into that. A weapon, but a a flaming sword. (laughs) Pierce talked on Clive Sullish. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that maybe sounds very ideological, but I believe that, that, oh yeah. You're, you're going out there and that's why you're here mm. you're sharpening your sword and that gives you capacity that gives you power and that gives you richness in life and I don't I don't necessarily say the word happiness mm-hmm. because happiness is this much yeah yeah it's this much hackneyed this much abused term almost abused uh, almost as abused as the term leadership <laughs> yeah and um, you know, and there's corporate platitudes and the brickbats, you know, but happiness. There's fulfillment. There's, as you talked about earlier on, meaning. There's connection. There's suffering. There's, I put it, Nietzsche's more fatty, you know, accepts the fate, but strive to change it. Love. Anyway, I'm yeah. I'm moving off there. Oh, no, I like it. But uh, yeah, 
happiness. It's weaponized by half, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it, it becomes a product. Yeah, there's closer to happy. <laughs> that's what I like. That's, yeah. There's closer to happy. Yeah. And that's why, like, I'll always... And it's something I find, as, as you talked earlier on, James, about meditation and so on. And I'd always regard myself as... And I grew up in an Ireland where torment, difficulty, suffering... And I think still, there's almost a fetishization still. Yeah. But I definitely grew up in an Ireland where... And perhaps it's intergenerational and perhaps it's a byproduct of trauma. But I grew up where torment, suffering were fetishized, mythologized, uh, you did things the hard way and it was like drink. And I, again, I'm drifting in one mm-hmm. thing. Like I grew up in an Ireland which mythologized the drinking culture. Like I think it's great to see the young fellas now. They much go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Then go to the pub, which is that fo- that focal point of social interaction has changed, and that's progress we've made. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, part of part of as a teacher, and being on stage, all the time, and that fever pitch intensity. So, like, yeah, you, you, there's things you. We always close by asking um, guests how do they take care of themselves. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Just answered it. And yeah, no, I run. You run? Yeah, I run. I do a little bit of sea swimming, which again, oh, he's going to talk about sea swimming. That's another one. <laughs> another person talking about sea swimming now. No, I'm not going to go there. No, no, I run. I run up the hill. Okay. And I, I live in the hills. It's magnificent therapy. It's a magnificent life that I have to immerse in the hills. I literally come out of my house and I'm on the frontiers land and I'm in different worlds that are timeless. The, you know, the elemental timeless, timelessness of them. They were there be- these places were there before us. They'll be there long after us. And it, it, it's grounding. Again, if that sounds cliched. Mm. But that's how I feel. And I run up that hill. I actually run up. Well, I'd run. I'd have a number of routes running. But one of the great joys is I have a 13-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And I run with him. Oh, great. And it's the most intimate. Sharing. And I still have him. Because the days are coming now. Where he'll, he'll exert his own independence. He'll be resisting thing but like we have really really intimate moments on that hill and we disappear down the mohawk of a forest road in Wicklow and we disappear into that forest and we climb up and that's how I look after myself I run and I garden I find great great solace in gardening yeah, Gerard Manley Hopkins talked about the uh, the freshness deep down things. And I love Hopkins as a poet. And, you know, to grow, to propagate the garden is, it takes you, it's a beautiful, again, a transcendent form. And if you had asked me 
10 years ago would I like gardening I would have looked at you askance I would have said so maybe I'm getting old but yeah I run that's how I look after myself I run and I garden and they help me but I'm on the note of the hills huh. I've a 13 year old son who's pushing to take me on the hill now <laughs> and it's that's brilliant <laughs> it's brilliant you build up to so I'm still I'm still getting to the top of that hill first <laughs> Purging, but it's <laughs> coming where I'm going to have to. What's gonna happen when the day comes? Ah, pride, pride, and desolation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's how I look after myself. And as I say, I have Carlina, my wife, who I have that love. So that's the foundation. Ah, it's that that bam is that that core family and again I'm a man and you have this beautiful thing I'm a man I'll mess it up I won't appreciate it just stupid things and then you have this you have this cocoon this enveloping and and yeah I do feel that's how I that's what I that's ultimately what we care about mm. and that's ultimately what sustains us and mm. you know the rest is the rest is everything. The rest is elementary, really. And, and then you say health. Mm. If you have your health. I haven't been, again, a generation of man who... Health... You almost punish yourself, almost. Mm. You wouldn't be too conscious of your health. So, yeah. so they keep me grounded that way. But you say you have to look after yourself. Yeah. You know? But... um. I used to I used to climb a lot in the mountains. I did a lot of mountaineering. Um I think that was part of being a young man. I I, I gave up mountaineering. I did high altitude mountaineering. Okay. Um after I had a child, I felt the responsibility, I loved it. But I loved it in terms of the suffering. Mm-hmm. And I suppose a young man's appetite for danger. And how, how sometimes we can equate that suffering or danger with feeling that we're special to to others or that again longing for connection. I suppose there's almost an act of putting yourself out there. It's an acting out as you talked about, looking for connection, looking for validation from the world. And I'm drifting off into a no, no, this is good. I like that into some sort yeah. of perhaps an ambiguous treatise, but. Yeah, but saying that, there was great, like, I had some great days in the mountains that were just elemental, otherworldly, like, and, but you're, like, you're in danger, mm-hmm. like, you're, and then you have a child, and you say, can I pit myself against all these objective dangers, and obviously you take, like, for me, I made a decision, my responsibility, but that's, that, that would have been my interest, after playing Gaelic football for years, and, and conventional sports, so that's answer. Now back to the sea swimming. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hear about this new thing in sea swimming, right? Um, I'm actually you. wearing a dry robe. <laughs> <laughs> we just came back from sea swimming, actually. Uh, thanks so much, sir. Sincerely appreciate it. Ah, oh, James, an absolute pleasure. And as I say, the years have spiralled away. But this this has been serendipitous. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate you Thank taking you. the time to think of me. And 
for whatever little bit of ego to massage it to say I'm and on a ego podcast. Needs, the ego <laughs> needs something, you know. <laughs> to, 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 I'm on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm important. <laughs> I've finally reached that. Yeah, you got there. Yeah, but I deeply appreciate you coming right. up, and it's like I reflect on this with time, yeah. and I realize the specialness of it, yeah, and for you to even think of it, and it means a lot, and I'm deeply appreciative. Of it. Uh, it was a pleasure to keep the faith brother up keep the faith yeah 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 that's it that's it that's it whatever faith is